Hello and welcome to this episode of Better Off Red. My name is Pip Adam and this is episode 104. It is the 18th in our element series that we're running all year on elements of craft and this is the final episode um, where we talk about point. So as we hear in um, Te Whanganui Atara and Aotearoa wave goodbye to um, winter and move haltingly towards spring um, uh, we say goodbye to perspective and point of view after this episode and we move next into character or I guess we call it people which means that I get to keep my peas we will see how we go anyway so not before we do not move on before we have this amazing episode. Um, I get to talk to Kirsten McDougall about first-person perspective. So we use first-person perspective as our objective sort of starting point on this conversation. It's an amazing conversation. It's very wide-reaching and Kirsten um, is talking to me as her new book, She's a Killer, is just about launched. So it will be launched in October 2021 and that will be exceptionally wonderful so yeah um thank you to the IIML um because this episode was filmed in the writer in residence room um, I'm very grateful to be the writer in residence there this year um, applications um, for the new writer in residence are still open if you are listening to this in September and um, yeah highly recommend applying it's a wonderful wonderful residency thank you also to copyright licensing New Zealand who have helped um, fund um, part of this um, project um, this year of podcasts and we're very grateful for that funding um, also um, applications for that funding are also available at the moment and there is a link to that on my website so there's a few ways of getting some money and some places to write and some things at the moment so highly recommend um, popping in and having a look so thank you very much for listening to this and I hope you really enjoy this conversation I really enjoyed it and I'm very grateful to Kirsten McDougall Um, hello Kirsten. Hello Pip. Thank you so much for coming. Oh, it's lovely to be here. Ah, it's so very nice excited. to see you. I know, I feel, I feel quite amped actually. I feel very, very excited about this discussion. Um, first of all though, would you like to introduce yourself, however you'd like to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Kia ora tātou. My name's Kirsten McDougall. I'm a, I write fiction. I live in Wellington. I also work um, in publishing. Um, and I've got a new novel coming out in October called She's a Killer. And it's my longest piece of fiction to date. Wow. 109,000 words. That's exciting. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, th- yeah. If there's one thing I always want, it's more Kirsten McDougall. So that is very good. I like that a lot. So we've had a bit of a chat about what we're going to use as an object of discussion here. And do you want to introduce what we sort of came to? Sure. Yeah. yeah. So we decided that my object would be first-person point of view, first-person perspective, the I <laughs> in fiction. Yeah. So if you were, when you talk about perspective, say, because um, I know you, you also teach, when you're explaining first-person perspective, is there a way that you would explain it to someone who's new to writing or, yeah? Yeah, I mean, I suppose I'd, first of all, I'd say, you know, there are the three perspectives that we generally work in. Well, we generally work in two, first and third. And first is um, I, me, and it's written from, you know, the direct, the narrator is is the, um, I guess, 
exactly the main character. I suppose it centres the narrator as the main character. Um, and the thing about first person is it creates a, um, a constraint around what you can see because when you're using third, particularly a, a removed third or a more omniscient third, the narrator is, I mean, I suppose the way I learned about this narrator was they were the eye of God. Um, and that's something that writers like Tolstoy, those 19th century writers, um, George Eliot, you know, Austen, they, you know, all amazing use of that eye of God. Um, but yeah, so you, there, but there are limitations around first person that you need to be aware of. And I think new writers maybe jump at first person as a um, easier entry to writing fiction because we are used to writing from the I point of view, just even in writing emails or talking to people. But it's actually really tricky because if you want to step out of the, if you want to show some action happening outside of the room where your narrator is, um, how are you going to do that unless the narrator goes there or they overhear? Yeah. So um, there are pros and cons, but I think um, there's something I really, really love about first person. I heard a very influential writer say uh, a number of years ago that she thought that um, third person was sort of the right perspective, that's how you should write novels, that she would never write in first person. And I was like, oh, oh my goodness, I should never write. And, and um, at, at that point, I'd only actually written in limited third, mm-hmm. which is actually, I think of a limited third person where um, the narration sits very close to the main characters. Um, as a very close cousin to first person, yeah. But I, I um, I don't think I have any. Perhaps, perhaps back then when I heard this said, I thought there were rules that I should follow and people I should listen to above other people. But now I don't think that. I just think I just need to listen to myself quite often. Yeah, I trust myself more. Oh man, I really like that. And I think you know, like one of the things. Um, that I thought was really interesting when we were sort of talking about this is, and you've sort of alluded to it um, in that answer, is this correlation between character and the first person um, mm. narrative. And it, I know I'm, I'm, I, I, it, it kind of blew my mind a little bit because it, it was something that this idea of sort of stepping into another psychology is quite interesting. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about yeah. what you mean when you're interested in the correlation between character and first person. Yeah, well, I, I think the thing is, is that point of view is so important when you're um, thinking about voice. Mm. And for me, voice is what drives narrative when I... Particularly when I start start writing a longer piece, even a shorter piece, um, I ha- the voice has to be right. I feel that... There's an energy, a particular engine and voice that will help me drive a piece to the end. And, of course, related to voice is this idea of character. And it's one of the things that I think I find hard to get my head around with third person, particularly remove third person, is, is I sort of go, well, who's talking? Who, who, who's the narrator here? I mean, if it's a limited third person, you can use, you know, um, free and direct style whereby you're writing in the they, them, she, he, um, 
um, from that perspective, but you might drop in a few words that actually belong to a particular character, so you know a sentence will, mm. will really... It's the narrator speaking, but thinking with their, a character's um, feelings, opinions, that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, so... But with first person, it's it's sort of a direct channel to your narrator, to your to your character. So, the voice of the piece um, is the character of, of of the whole piece, the novel, the story, whatever mm. it is you're writing. Um, it's it's directly in the language they use, how they speak to other people, how they hear other people. Um, that frames the whole shape of the piece of fiction um, and so for me if I if I know if I feel excited by that voice I know that I've got enough in a character um, to kind of fuel at least the next chapter mm-hmm. you know um, of course in a longer piece of fiction a novel things have to happen really um, and I'm really really interested in plotting and 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 how you um, you create you know intricate Intricacy in, in fiction, um, and particularly in longer pieces. But um, yeah, I just think that that point of view is so closely related to to character and voice. And I suppose you you can't untie it from any aspect of fiction because um, it's going to be related to your plot as well. And I'm reading a novel at the moment called Great Circle by Maggie Gipsteed. Yes, I'm being shortlisted for the booker, and that's told from a, n- a number of point of views um, there's a first person contemporary point of view and there's two f- third person historical point of views and then there's a sort of um, omniscient third person almost like historical looking at the landscape like you know when the dinosaurs roamed it it's yeah, which is really cool. I really, I really like that, you know. And I love reading novels like that because it it kind of um, educates me, opens me up to ways in which I might, you know, use perspective in a different way. Um, yeah, I think like I love what you're saying here about this sort of interconnectedness of voice with plot, like because I guess with a first person perspective because of that limitation and constraint you know if you know if if you decide to you know um you know I guess I guess there are some first person narrators that can see everything you know maybe omniscient but I just think it seems so interconnected and I'm just wondering this might be a null and void question because I think sometimes I do things automatically and I don't know how I do it but I'm wondering about how you choose like how you choose who to tell the story through or is it a matter of the the narrator kind of speaking to you like that first person narrator saying it's me it's me and then you go with them to explore the the events of their life if you know what I mean so I guess what I'm saying is like is it a situation and you look for the person in that room that would be interesting or is it more a voice comes to you and you go oh what are you up to today that Mm -hmm. kind of thing yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, I think in the past I would have said that I'd, the voice would come, but more and more I think that I'm confident to um, sit back and be a bit patient with my ideas 
and really consider what the best angle to tell the story from is. Mm. Yeah. And um, I mean, obviously, you know, I've just, <laughs> in my previous answer, I said voice is so, so important. And so it is. Like, I have to feel that voice. Mm. But it really does depend on the story you're telling and what, what you want to tell. And quite often, I don't actually know exactly what that story is but I'll have these you know um kind of amorphous large ideas like in in my novel She's a Killer it's told from first person point of view but I knew I wanted to write about climate change Mm. and how infuriated I was feeling at the lack of action from governments from all the governments of the world and from multinational businesses and and from individuals actors as well although I place um you know I think government has a huge (laughs) they're the ones who can change things not just individuals so um but then I had this kind of anti-social borderline sociopathic narrator yeah who so you know if you take those elements you sort of go well what how are you going to marry these things up so it took quite a lot of playing around and just actually writing and talking get, getting this narrator to narrate and interact with other people before I could kind of um, you know almost get the train up to speed <laughs> or, or the or the albatross got in the air or whatever <laughs> whatever the analogy is yeah um, but I think yeah as I get more confident as a writer I'm starting to think about my next project very vaguely and um, and I've I think I will attempt third person. I think it's going to be the best way to tell the story I want to tell next. Um, but but I'm really open to that changing as well as I kind of collect ideas and um, and go along. So, yeah, I mean, it really does depend. I think when I was starting out, I would... I've always had, I've always had strong characters, even when I was... St- Starting as a writer in poetry, I wanted to write from a character's point of view. So I always had these kind of voices that would talk to me, and I could kind of talk in their in their way. Um, but I just sort of quickly run out of steam. I'd be like, "So what happens next?" <laughs> I'd be like, "Well, it's not you know, there's a voice, but that's not an idea necessarily, you know." So I think I've really learned about plotting, you know, that actually you need you need something to happen. Mm. <laughs> You know, and you need to be able to set that up in a really satisfying way. And as a reader, I absolutely love books that have twists and turns and, um, you know, I'm not quite sure what's going to happen next. or But that, that have a sort of, I guess, denseness in them in terms of things happening. Mm. Yeah, I, I really love the way you're talking about the writing um, process. I know, I don't, some people don't like that word. I like that word. Um, but, or practice or, you know, and like yeah. I'm really relating to a lot of what you're saying. And I think that somewhere in our correspondence, we talked a little bit about this idea of putting one foot in front of the other. And I'm, I'm wondering, um, this is something I'm always interested in. What, what does a day's writing look like? Or what does a pro, the life cycle of a project look like? Like, I mean, is it... Is it every day chipping away? Is it, you know, like what I imagine, like I know for me, if I'm writing something that's big with voice, it does often feel like I'm playing with my imaginary friends for the morning kind of thing. But I just wonder, you know, like what what does that look like? Like how do you sustain um, 
you know, sustain your, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like just your well-being around that, you know, like how do, how do you um, keep um, turning up and, yeah, yeah. What, what does that look like for yeah. you? I think, I mean, that's, you know, that's the multi-million dollar question really. <laughs> how to, but I think that if you, I think that I want to write, so that, yeah. that keeps me going. And I love how hard it is. Like, I mean, I, some days I hate how hard it is as well and I, you know, beat myself up and then other days I think I'm just brilliant and <laughs> oh my God, you know. But um, I think you just, you do have to turn up and, and I suppose it really helps if you like what you're doing, mm. you know. Mm. And so I try to work on stuff. If I'm not enjoying what I'm doing, then I'll stop. It's not, you know, I mean, and I really strongly feel that if, if you can entertain yourself and make yourself laugh, um, then you will do the same thing for your reader. I really believe that you bring that energy to the page as you're working. Um, so I, I guess like my, the recent, the book that's coming out in October, I actually took five months pay, unpaid leave mm. to write that because I knew I wanted to write a much larger thing than what I'd done before. And um, I used to be able to compartmentalise bits of my life a lot better than I can now. And these days I'm just like, no, I just want time where I don't have to think about work or really even leave the house um, to get to get this down. And that was amazing. So I had these five months leave. I'd work Monday to Friday, though school holidays I, you know, would be a bit more interrupted. Um, and I actually wrote 80,000 words in four months, which mm. was a lot, you know, and I think that I was quite exhausted afterwards. I didn't really recognise it at the time, but... Um, a bit, but that's the that's the core of the book. The book's yeah, hundred nine thousand. So I got really got the core work down in a very quick time. Of course, it needed um, editing, and you know, I don't. I think that I hadn't quite got the start right, and I hadn't written the end. But by the time I went back to work, I had most of a novel, and then I just sort of picked away at it over the next year, and that was really valuable as well because. I just, for, for my energy, other people might be different. I can't go at it that hard. Mm. For mm. Probably six months, nine months would be the longest. And then I, I really, I mean, I'm a really sociable person. I'm an extrovert and I, I need to see people. And I'd actually got to the point where I was like oh, going into the supermarket, oh, people are in like, <laughs> they're going to interrupt my, my thought pattern. <laughs> and, you know, that, which I, I think is, it's fine for a while, but it's not that healthy <laughs> for someone like me. Um, long term so yeah um but that was a brilliant process and I think you know I mean and depending on the project next I I think that process really works for me mm. but I did need that quieter time the year after where I was doing other things just to I don't know almost to let go of the work and go well yeah you've done this but it's not that important it's not life it's 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 just art it's just a book you know let mm. it go mm. Because um, if you're working on it all the time, you think it's the only thing, you know, and it's not the only thing. So um, yeah, so that just gave me a bit of oxygen to to work out what would be mm. right. How do I end this book? How do I how do I make it better? Mm. Yeah, I'll, I I um I yeah I just I really I, oh my gosh I always love hearing writers talk about these things because I feel like often it's not. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I worry that I'm doing it the wrong way. But everybody does it different ways, oh, though. There's no... 
there's no right way there's no wrong way <laughs> I mean I think you know the only the only you know piece of advice that I've always thought well that's just plain sensible and everyone should adhere to it is to turn up you know yeah. to turn up and and try you know um if you if you think about it you know I really want to write a book or I want to write a poem or a story but you don't actually sit down and just just stare at the blank page for a while it's never going to happen yeah so mm. that I mean that's the only thing is and and I mean of course that's hardest thing for most people is is um, amongst work and um you know family and community obligations is finding time mm, <laughs> to do yeah, it yeah. and 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 not feeling like you're pulling your from other that you're being selfish or whatever mm, you know mm. I think I'm really lucky in that and that my partner my long-term partner is um also you know he works in arts and he's a musician so he he just gets it you know I think that if um if I was, a, well, I don't think I'd ever be with anyone who didn't care. Who was like, "Why are you doing that writing stuff? Come in and watch TV with me." You know, like, yeah, yeah. Then I, I just wouldn't be with anyone like that. Can yeah. I ask? Um, one of the things that I think might be quite tricky. Well, is tricky for me. I was wondering if you've got any tips about maintaining voice over revision, if you know what I mean. Like, yes. you know, there's that thing where yes. the f- the the first. I want to say flush, I don't know if that's the right word, but, you know, the first rush of it, it feels like, ah, immediacy. And then as you've talked about, you know, the the intricacies of the story demands Mm. slightly different attention Mm. or, you Mm. know, like slower, you know, whatever it demands. Do you have any thoughts about how you maintain Mm. voice through various revisions? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I can only really talk about the book that's in my head which is the one I've finished just finished um and I was really conscious of that because mm. the narrator is um because of her personality being quite antisocial and she doesn't she thinks she doesn't feel a lot or she doesn't at least admit that she feels so I could never sort of write I felt or you know um or even I like at some point I had this rule in my head that I would never write smiled that should that I would have her smiling because she's just not someone who is is gonna smile you know she might laugh at you you do something (laughs) stupid but she's not gonna smile friend in a friendly manner at you so I had all these kind of roles and um of course over the course of the of the action of the novel things do change for her and she is she's someone who's kind of refused life um she's got a near genius IQ she could have done anything with it, but she's just kind of, she's a bit of a slacker and she doesn't really, um, I suppose that deep down she doesn't really believe in herself too much. But um, yeah, so how was I, but there, there is going to be a shift in that character, mm. you know, towards the end. So how do I do that in a subtle way to show there's a shift? But I don't want to make it like, suddenly there's this really functioning person because she's not like that would be completely implausible and I don't want to write that sort of book you know um it's no epiphany really yeah so yes but there is a shift so how do I stay true to her keep that and I was really worried because the thing about her is that she's funny so Mm -hmm. there's a there's a real humor in the book but if she suddenly realizes a few home truths does that make it more serious does that mean I can't you know, and actually some very serious stuff happens towards the end of the book. So, you know, how does that and I can't make I can't make jokes about people about the things that happen. So um 
how do I, yeah, am I going to lose the reader mm. because the voice, the tone has changed? But actually, so I was, I was really worried about all these things. But then I just kind of wrote it and as I went through the editing process, I was like, no, this feels right. This feels like a bit of a, you know, um, leaf kind of not turning over completely but shifting in the wind maybe. Um, and, um, yeah, but I'd say that maintaining the voice for the most part of that novel came down to simply having that five months mm. Mm. where I was there every day working on it. And I think that it's very hard to maintain voice if you're picking away at a novel over a period of years and you've got these long breaks between um, between when you can write it. Um, that that would That's when it would become very hard for mm. me, I think. And mm. I think that's why it's important for me to have that time mm. so that I could throw all of my energy and be very... Um, consistent with the energy mm. yeah, mm. yeah um like that. yeah um the, i'm not quite sure how to formulate this question and i sort of formulated it here but not particularly well um you not only turn up to your writing but you turn up to sort of championing 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 other writers um you know you turn up for environmental activism you turn up for you know a lot of other areas in your life and one of the interesting things you spoke about is how the third person can have a place in the current you know sort of environment that we're in and it occurred to me all sorts of the things you said sort of occurred to me and they hadn't before just this idea that we're often performing in first person we're used to people speaking in first person um Social media is all first person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just, I there does seem to be, and I don't even know, I haven't formulated this and I may be on the wrong track, so just tell me if I'm on the wrong track, but there does seem to be something politically interesting about first person compared with third person. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Well, I mean, I think I sort of went down a, bit, a little bit of a rabbit hole when I was... Um, I like rabbit right, holes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> writing. And just sort of saying that, I guess, there's a veracity to first person for me when I'm writing it and I like I really have to feel that there's an emotional honesty behind what I'm writing mm. even if even if like the character of my novel is not a particularly nice person and I don't agree with all the things she says or thinks you know um and I and I it started me thinking about third person and why I've found omniscient third person so difficult to work in and it could be that I actually just do not have the, the tools yet, the skill. Um, <clears throat> however, the time of the sort of Eye of God, 19th century, you know, um, novel narrator has passed because, you know, the thing, the thing with people like Tolstoy was they genuinely believed in God and that, you know, you would die and you would go to heaven or hell. And um, so there, there, there could be a sort of, um, uh, all-seeing consciousness um, and so so for me it's like and it comes back to that question of who is when you are working in a removed third person who is talking like I'm always like who is this narrator like I want to know who that why are they telling me this you know what <laughs> why what is it their place to tell me this you know I've got all these questions not so much when I read a confident 
mm. writer, mm. but when I write it myself, you know. Um, so that, but then it got me to thinking, you know, was was that okay for me? It seems truthful to write from a first person point of view, from a point of view um, that I know something of. You know, I would never write. Um, I would, I would. There were just lots of point of views I would never take yeah. on as a narrator. Um, although I am thinking of writing from the point of view of a police dog. <gasps> yeah, and my, and, and yeah. So I'm, I'm, and I'm starting to think, how do you do that? And so many people have written great pieces of work. <laughs> I'm thinking of like Laura Jean Mackay's book with um, the animals in that country, and you know, how, just starting to think about how you write from a point of view of an animal. Anyway, um, but. But then I started to think, hang on a minute, like I, if, you know, one of one of my, my issues with the way we live is that we're so siloed, we're so, mm. you know, you said before that, that performance of being, of being I, you know, the, the whole kind of um, focus we have around identity politics and, and, you know, presenting to the world who I am, this is me. And, you know, whilst I think it's, that's important as well, we've forgotten that we're actually animals who are part of this collective, you know. We are bound to the planet, the earth, the, the, the sun and the weather and the trees. And if, and if the longer we don't accept that, the more trouble we run into. Mm. So then I got to thinking, well, maybe, like, there's a sort of third-person collective that's, that's a really great way to write from. Uh, and I don't know what that would look like, you know, the voice of the of the mushroom, the mycelium network <laughs> of the trees. I mean, I haven't read that Richard Powers, the overstory, <laughs> but, you know, that should be something I look at. So, yeah, I mean, I think that whatever whatever point of view you, you take, you, you can um, look at the politics around that. And I, I think it just comes down to some sort of, yeah, like I said, um, emotional veracity. But also it's got to serve the story writing, you know. So what is the story writing? write that story and, and the the way I found my first person narrator to work and she's a killer is that her behavior her sort of refuser head in the sand I'm like she you know at one point she says when she's on the internet she has a filter blocking words like catastrophe climate change apocalypse um um gelatinous future <laughs> she blocks the word future um she just doesn't want to even think about the shit she's in you know, the, the shit that the world is in. Um, and to me, that's actually, she embodies the governmental, governments and, and business organisations that refuse to change and, um, you know, put lower, you know, start having, heading towards a zero carbon emissions mm, mm. <laughs> in terms of the way that they operate. Yeah. yeah. that That's what she is. She's yeah. just, and, and, and lot, she's, not she's not just representing organizations she represents lots of people and you know things I do you know plastic I buy and I think oh, it was just one piece it's just this one piece of plastic but you know times a million yeah I just think um the stuff is so interesting especially this is something that I I'm always interested in what books can do that maybe other art can't yeah, and I'm going to make a statement that I'm going to disagree with in five minutes, I'm sure. But there does seem to be something incredible about first person that it does literally put us in the psychology of someone else. We are literally mm. shape shifting into someone else's point of view, which I think 
is kind of incredible, really. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing the novel can do, right? That, I I don't know, I struggle to think of another art form. Maybe maybe films, you know, yeah. maybe films can do that um, because they use the music and the, and the visuals. But um, they, they put you inside someone else's um, head and experiential... Um, you know their, their senses of the world mm, the mm. way in which they see smell hear feel the world the way they think about the world and that's pretty amazing and I I remember when I was young and I started to read say Jane Austen or you know I'm te- a teenager and I would you know and I read it at length so I'd spend a whole afternoon or even a whole day reading and then I'd come away and I'd walk around and I'd have that voice in my head. You know, I'd be speaking like a, you know, 19th century yeah. heroine. <laughs> and I love that. You know, that's what a novel can do. It's a very um, immersive form. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I really relate. To that. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, going back to your original thing about voice, like, I mean, it's really interesting the, the idea of using voice as what's the word I'm looking for as a product of experience if you know what I mean like you know like yeah there that's are, right like sometimes when I hear the words that I use I don't know I mean I think this is why I love dialogue so much because often people give away stuff you know like I um like what I'm doing now like with the questioning and with the like you know I'm not actually saying this I'm you know almost saying it and I just think it must be so I realise that a lot of this is intuitive, mm. but it must be so mm. much fun to read it through that last time and go, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I actually, you saying about dialogue, dialogue's really, I, I found out how important, how useful dialogue was in a first-person mm. um, oh, yeah. narration because, you know, as I said earlier, with first-person, you're just stuck inside this one point of view, you know. You're limited in kind of space, time, um, and, and you know you can see as far as the first person narrator can see, but what other people say, they can st- those other characters can say anything, and so they can, they you know like you might be going along and the and this say say you're in a first person. Um, I'll give a very bald example of sort of say a, a character who's um, maybe a bit racist and misogynist and they're saying this and you know you're sort of going along and, and as a reader you might be going yeah right on or you might be going oh this person is revolting why why would this author even write like this and then you can get someone else piping up another character piping up saying well there you know like this is a really lame example I'm giving but it lets the reader know that there are there's there's other points of view here, you know, um, and it also creates opportunities for humour, I think. You know? Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I really that was such a interesting discovery. It seems like such a basic thing that took me so long to work out how 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 useful dialogue is for getting for getting in those other points of view. And it is really fun too. Like I, I'm really interested in this idea of humour. I'm I'm slightly obsessed with humour, but um. So I'm really keen to ask you around that, but I think you're so right. Like, you know, humour is often, you know, like person starts car, expects it to go forward and it goes backwards. And often dialogue is great for that, where it's like, the world looks like this. And then it's like, hello, you know, um, that unmediated dialogue that you can't avoid. Um, Yes. And I wonder, I don't know, like this... um, 
whenever you ask about anything funny, it becomes unfunny. So yeah, I, apologies. Yeah, yeah. But did you did you make yourself laugh while you were writing, or like, I definitely I definitely entertained myself. Like my yeah. role was. Um, if, if I think this is funny, like if it, if it tickles me, then, you know, some, one other person, it might, it might, you know, entertain them as well. Um, but I, I think um, I really wanted to write something with humour because I felt like my, my second book, Tess, didn't have the humour in it that I really, I've used in other, in other bits of writing and that I really enjoyed. And I was like, okay, I'm going to write something that really makes me laugh and entertains me and um yeah so my rule was if it entertains me if I can kind of feel that the energy is keeping on rolling then it's probably going to help someone else and I love this idea that you know I was writing about um you know late stage capitalism and and a climate apocalypse so how can I do that in a funny way (laughs) you know because so much of the stuff that we read and we hear about around climate change it's so I mean, it's just depressing. Of course, it's depressing. It's 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 you know ecosystems dying. It's, it's species extinction. It's you know it's awful. Um, and I really truly believe that if we're going to survive this and whatever whatever version of us <laughs> that that is, we need to take our sense of humour along. You know, and um, when I see all these fundamentalists on social media, you know. Um, the Jason Walls. I mean, he's the one that's, that's cropped up in the last wee while. Or, you know, um, horrible Sean Plunkett. People like this. I think of them as fundamentalists. Mm. Um, what they lack is a sense of humour, you know? And you can... It's powerful. If you can make... I mean, one of my favourite comedians is Stuart Lee. I don't know if you... Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he is... Oh, he is a difficult dude, you know. He says some really hard things and it's always very sly and it always makes me laugh and I think that's so powerful. It's such a powerful way to get your message across. Mm. It was. I went to a great session yesterday um, in Joy Gallery uh, having um, a part of a conference that's sort of all around the world um, and it was sort of around artist-run space and... Um, yeah, it was interesting. Uh, it was a lot about Indigenous people taking power back over um, space. And a lot of it was about joy, which surprised mm. me. You know, it was talking about how there's this urgency in Pākehā society that we have to decolonise, decolonise. And mm. whereas, like, you know, and, and putting all that pressure on Indigenous people, whereas, like, there was a lot of talk about the joy, you know, and yeah. trying to make spaces where there is joy. And yeah. I think there might be some – I think there's some – academic logical robustness to humor that I don't think sorry I've now made humor not funny but I just every now and then like I just feel I've been really interested in how a lot of stand-up comedians do non-fiction and life writing at the moment you know how they talk about trauma and how and I just think I don't know like I just love what you said about us taking our sense of humor with us like yeah well, to me, what it's just like, it's terribly dull if, if it's not there. But also, I mean, I, I, making people, things that make you laugh, there's something quite magical about that. But also, have you know when you see those little YouTubes of babies laughing because, you know, the parents <laughs> like popping up over and the baby's just laughing and it, no one's taught that baby to laugh. Like, oh, where has that come from? <laughs> I find it really fascinating. Yeah. You know, and of course, you know, when you break the joke down, it's like, okay, the baby is laughing because the parent has popped up 
over the back of the couch and they've popped away again. Yeah. And then popped up and popped You know, that's not funny. Yeah. But this ch- and but you watch this baby laughing and you start cackling. <laughs> you know, and one of my other favourite things to do is just to watch, you know, animals doing silly things. Yeah. You know, like, um, you know, dogs scratching themselves and falling over. Yeah. Or <laughs> nothing that hurts them, but just, you know, and I have a dog, you have a dog. They're really funny. They're so good to have around. Yeah. And I don't know why. I don't know why. So there's... There's a sort of, to me, with humour, you know, you can break a joke down and say it's funny because X, Y, Z, but, um, you know, the element of surprise or um, the, the slyness, um, you know, the turning of the tables, but um, there's also, there's something really magical about yeah. about it, yeah. And yeah. that physical kind of, I find that ideas, and I think this is what's interesting about Stuart Lee, especially with that switcheroo that he can do sometimes, where I'm like, yeah, 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 and then I'm like, oh no, you know, what's the daisy? I'm the bad guy. Um, but there's something in the laughter that gives me a little bit of surrender, and I think that's what's interesting about your book is that, you know, there are some hard things to be talked about, Mm. but if I'm laughing, I somehow feel more open to them. Totally. Oh, look, I think that that's that's a huge, huge, huge thing. As as we are facing some really serious, challenging times, you know, with the environment, with, um, you know, ideas around um, decolonising our country, around how we house people, how we even feed people, you know. Um, and, and there's a defensiveness that, that – that, and, and that defensiveness to me is what causes this, this kind of fundamentalist – point of views where people are like I'm this and I'm not that mm, mm, um, mm. and if if people can laugh and be open to conversation and be open to conversation and continue to laugh they will um, I don't know I, I guess I just have this idea that they might broaden them we mm. might be able to broaden our minds think a different way you're right if you're more relaxed you're going to be and, open and yeah and it just occurs to me about you know, just, sorry, this is a terrible thing to do. I'm talking about something that I don't know about. But, like, this idea of creating a character that perhaps is a bit, you know... Um, disagreeable. Yeah, disagreeable. I like that word. Um, and then telling jokes from their point of view. It feel I, I always feel like humour is quite culturally bound. And then if I can share a joke with someone, there's, there is some kind of... Um, I don't know, some kind of boundary breaking that happens there. Was it fun to make up jokes in someone else's voice? <laughs> it, just, it just suddenly occurred to me. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it is, it is. And, um, you know, the main thing was if there was, if, if, if she was being cruel or, 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 or acting in a way that I just would not behave because she thinks it's funny, but I, I would see it from my own personal point of view as rude or impolite mm. or disrespectful. Was that I was to let let the reader know, mm. you know, and, mm. I, and I had the power to do that. But it was fun. It was fun as hell to actually act outside of my own boundaries of what's comfortable. Really, I would, you know, any writers out there, I'd thoroughly <laughs> recommend you write a character who. Um, pushes boundaries in a way that you you don't yeah so much fun it does sound like fun and it's fun to read I mean that's the other thing is you know like this opportunity to be close to something that yeah yeah I don't know like I just it it just is so interesting well I often think that's kind of part of why you know if you write for a while that's why you keep doing it because it offers you 
you know, you and I were just having a conversation earlier about not being able to travel at the moment. It's another way to travel. It's mm. a fifth dimension. It's mm. And that, that other thing you said about, you know, inhabiting someone else's mind, way of seeing the world, It's it takes you out of your own experience for a while. Mm, yeah. And I think, yeah, I just, yeah, I think it's, it is, yeah, I just, I think I just agree. Oh, God, I always <laughs> want to say something clever, but I never have anything clever. Um, One thing that I'm really interesting is you and I will often talk about things that we're reading or, you know, like, I, I, I get this sense, I'm always interested in what you're reading, and I think you always talk interestingly about your read, how you read. Do you think that reading is a good way of learning how to write first-person point of view? Like, do you think, like, I don't know, like... Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I mean, reading reading is the way that you learn how to write, really. I mean, you, you learn how to write through practising writing as well, but um, I just think that, you know... Um, everything you read is going to be uh, fuel for learning different techniques, um, be it perspective or or even just how other writers use adjectives. You know, mm, mm, mm. Um, yeah, how they how they write dialogue, um, how they might even just you know sometimes I think what, some of the hardest stuff in fiction is moving people around a room. Oh, you yeah. know, like yeah. doing that in a concise way that's not boring. You know, I put my fork down, then I stood up from the table, you know, getting them to move around. So how how do other people do that? So, yeah, absolutely. I think if you're going to – if if you're writing from a certain perspective and you're a bit stuck, go and read some books that are written from that perspective or other perspectives because maybe it's not that perspective that you mm. should be writing mm. that particular story from. Mm. You know, every story is going to demand its own perspective, I guess. Mm. Yeah, I think that's so true, eh? Like, I think, you know, like, that subconscious, you know, the way the way what we read kind of settles inside us, eh? Like, it's kind of interesting. Like, I I don't know. Like, I, yeah. And I, I read other writers. I don't, I don't know about you, but some writers won't read fiction while they're writing their own novels. Yeah. Is it, are you, do you have that um, kind of? No. no. I, I really, I can't stop. I'm addicted. Um, well, I'm the same. Like, I'm, you know, and I, and then I go, oh, oh, am I letting them influence how I'm doing this? But I feel like if I'm far enough along down a project, then... And I think I think there's that thing where um, me reading a book is going to be totally different to you reading a book. To, do you know what I mean? So I feel like Absolutely. that even if that is influencing how I'm writing, it's different parts of it that are, you know, influencing me. You know, like I, um, I've, I've been having trouble writing and just come off a jag of reading heaps, you know, yeah. and like it's just... I think what the, one of the best things about it is it's made me think, yeah, writing's amazing again. You know, like I love reading books, you know, and, and just, and I think, yeah, I, I, I used to worry a little bit about that, but I, yeah, I don't know. And I, yeah, because it's interesting talking about overstory, like at the moment I'm writing um, some people that are more like trees than people, than humans, and um yeah, I'm thinking, oh, should I read over story? And then it was really great because my friend just said, why don't you just read it and enjoy it? I was like, yeah, I can just read it. Yeah, that's right. It's so much fun. And even if you set out to, I'm going to be Pip Adam writing Richard Powers, <laughs> like you would sound completely different yeah. anyway, you know. <laughs> he's always, he's way burning out. But yeah, it would yeah. be very good. It would be really good. So do you have any, are there any books recently that you have enjoyed? Yeah, well, I I brought one along um, that I thought was really fascinating um, 
I found out about it because it was shortlisted for the International Man Booker Prize, which oh, is yeah. for, I think, often works in translation. Yeah, yeah. So it's called The Employees, a workplace novel of the 22nd century. <gasps> and it's by a Danish writer called Olga Raven, who is um, a poet. And so this was Olga Raven's first work of fiction, I believe. And so it's set in the 22nd century, as per the subtitle. And it's set on a ship called the 6,000 ship. And they are out way, way out in space. And um, something's happened on the ship. So the ship, the, the, um, the voyages on the ship are made up of humans and humanoids. And um, something's happened on the ship. And a um, sort of workplace manager is going around taking statements from all the employees. So the book is made up of a whole lot of statements from the humans and humanoids talking about what they think has happened, but no one's too sure what's happened. They've been to a place, they've been into a valley um, on a planet called New Discovery and they've found all these objects and so they've got a like strange objects and they've got an object room and anyone who goes into that object room is sort of changed by the objects. It's like the objects kind of begin to inhabit them or they can talk to the objects. It's really strange and really compelling. And it's a, you know, it's not it's not a traditional novel. It's a fragmented narrative. Mm. Um, and I think I said that to you earlier um, when we were talking that I really cut my teeth on fragmented narratives. Mm. Um mm people like Michael Ondaatje's early work and Anne Carson, her autobiography of Red, um, were like huge books for me when I was beginning to learn to write. And so I, I definitely, you know, I, I kind of love those um, those books that don't follow this sort of fluid novel, chap, you know, 30 chapter kind of mm. form. Um, but yeah, I really recommend it. I think it's it's a very it's a really cool little little novel um but I, I mean I also read you know I mean I during the recent lockdown I read Kate Atkinson's Life After Life and the one after that God in Ruins and you know she's a very um um how do I put this I guess like more traditional novelist mm-hmm. I mean she's brilliant she's 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 sort of you know masterful use of um form and point of view and characterization and weaving historical research into narratives so you know I, I read pretty widely I I read a lot of women I don't I don't I don't set out not to read men but oh, although I see you've got a swim in a pond in the rain the George Saunders book which I yeah. did read this year and absolutely yeah. loved where and I I loved discovering some short stories that I didn't know like that master and man the long Tolstoy story about the master who takes his his um servant out on the on the sled and then they get lost in the snow and my I stayed up late reading that my heart was racing you know are these people going to survive they're not going to survive just what an incredible story those blinking Russians the Russian man, I just I totally know what you mean like I um I I um yeah that I just oh my god yeah one of the greatest joys of that book is actually just oh hmm, reading those stories it's so great and to have them all there in one place is so great yeah oh my god it's so good Oh, I love reading. And I love this idea. That book sounds amazing. And I was just, it's such a beautiful idea that the, I do love the novel. I know, I don't even know. I just oh, love the novel because I mean, it I, just is so many different things. It is. It's, um, you know, 
someone someone um, smarter than me once said it's a capacious form it it there is so much you can do with it yeah. I was just writing a little bit about the short story for someone recently and I was saying that it's an exacting form you just you have to get things right mm. you know there's not a lot of space I mean you can experiment and 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 you know do different things but you kind of have to hit the nail on the head the mm. first time mm. whereas with the novel I mean you need there are you know obviously there are things you need to do to keep your reader entertained and invite them in and all that kind of thing but there's more room for bagginess and tangents and you know I'm just going to leave this in here because it's fun yeah not because it needs to be here for plot or you know I, I don't know I think I think the thing that I love about it the more I think about it is that it's a failure you know like it's always <laughs> a novel always has at its core a failure of whether it's a failure of um, reality or whether it's a failure of plot or whether it's a fa- you know like there's always this big hole in it that I'm trying to write it but I'm, I shouldn't say everyone else's books like like this but I'm always trying to write around this big thing that I can't overcome in the novel and I just I don't know like that's I think that's why I like Frankenstein so much because it's such a it's like it just is such a strange thing and like you say I think that there is room for excess if you know what I mean like even those very stripped down works yes there's room for yeah you know there's room for that yeah for it to be this stringent form yeah as well as this massive kind of baggy thing and I think you know what you're saying about you know uh walking around this this hole or this missing piece of knowledge that's what the novel's good for you know like I think sometimes well for me at least I feel like I write a novel to find out what I think yeah about this particular thing it helps me yeah it's a very sideways you know um I guess um way of coming at a problem um, I totally but relate. I'm not a mathematician so yeah yeah me neither thank you so much thank you Pip. gosh it's been lovely talking to you thank you very much Okay, so as a response to this conversation, I've just been thinking about first-person perspective, and this is quite a simple exercise, but it might render some interesting stuff. So I was thinking that you could think of three people who you saw yesterday, and I thought then you could write a first-person perspective of yesterday um, from each of those points of view. So what does each person choose to tell you about their day? Um, So yeah, I hope you have fun with that, and um, yeah. Three people who you saw yesterday, a first-person perspective from each one of them, thinking about what it was about their day that they would want to tell you today. Okay, awesome. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.